0: Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers
1: together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hello and welcome. My name is Colby Sinasam. I'm the Senior Research Equity Analyst at Cowan covering communications infrastructure and telecom services. Today, we're speaking with CJ Bricado, who's the co-CEO and managing partner at Avery Partners as part of our Leaders, Legends, Luminaries, and Visionaries podcast. Uh, CJ, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So, before we begin, and for those who might not be aware, uh, CJ and his team at Abri were one of the first PEs to really identify, at least in my opinion, the data center sector uh, as an opportunity in the 2000s and then in the early 2010s, and it's great to have you join us today and to share some of your thoughts on the sector uh, and how it's evolved. But before we get into that, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background. So. Coming out of undergrad, uh, that was in 1995, you started out in investment banking working at Prudential and then after just a year, moved to Abri where you've been the past almost 25 years now, a a long time. I thought I was doing well being at Collin for uh, 11. Uh, Was your plan always to be in PE? Was that kind of the plan from the beginning? You know, I wish I, you know, could say that it was, but I would
0: say, you know, graduating from undergrad, 1995, I didn't know what PE was. Maybe, you know, if I were lucky, I saw, you know, Barbarians at the Gate and, you know, had some idea of that. Maybe, you know, I saw, you know, Wall Street early on and it had some sort of quasi-idea of, of Ah, uh, private equity, but you know that's that's not true. You know, I you know graduated. I was you know 22 years old. I was young. Had you know no idea what Wall Street is. No no idea what finance was. You know, sort of you know fell into it. I think you know my, a friend of my mother, legendary investment banker on the CMBS side, named Vinny uh worked with Vinny. Vinny's sister worked with my mom, and so uh, knew that I needed a job and. She spoke to her friend and Vinny gave me a job at Prudential Securities pretty much on the spot. I had no idea what I was heading into. Fortunately, you know, I'd always had, you know, uh, an affinity for, you know, math and the sciences. I was a, an engineer in undergrad. So, you know, I knew how to run Excel and Lotus at the time. I knew, you know, statistics, you know, quite well and calculus and and so I was able to, you know, kind of adapt to the math side of finance pretty quickly, and it suited me. And It had always been, you know, a part of, you know, what I liked. You know, I sort of, sort of fancied myself as a engineer and a tinkerer and a bit of a, of a techie. I used to sort of program my own sort of Commodore 64, you know, back in the in the day, <laughs> whatever language that was. Um, but you know, so it always was a little bit of a techie. Always had a, you know, an affinity for math and the sciences, and so. You know, for me, you know, uh, coincidentally, finance scratched that itch. I had an opportunity to work for, you know, two very talented uh, investment bankers in the media communications group, which I also happened into. It was really, I think, a lottery. Um, One of whom is a fellow named Charlie Diaw. You probably remember, Colby, is a sort of somewhat legendary wireless communications banker. Um, ultimately ended up, I think at Bear Stearns. And so he was one of my two bosses and you oh, know, wow, at the know time that. was sort of investment banking, you know, all of the then wireless companies. We're talking, you know, like arch wireless and Motorola and That's so, the you know, hot. yeah, half, half of my, you know, half of my job was, was that. Uh, and then, you know, the other half was on the media side and we were a very small group. And I ended up working for, you know, my now co-CEO, Jay Grossman. So Jay had, you know, a great, you know, roster of clients that included, uh, you know, Sillerman and, you know, his, you know, broadcasting empire and Evergreen and some legendary radio names uh, and TV names. And so I ended up splitting my time between the two of them, you know, sort of fell in love with uh, media and communications and you know, got you know, sort of you know, trial by fire by two very productive bankers. And I would go from you know, uh, IPO to secondary to bond issuance to M and A. And you know, I, I got to be very in my limited you know one year period of time, got to be very productive. So you know, I learned finance really quickly. I learned media communications really quickly. And you know, a year into it, Charlie uh, left to go back to Bear Stearns, and then Jay left a couple of months after him. And so I sort of left you know, uh, leaderless, you know, in a group uh, that really had no sort of future. Fortunately, you know, two months after Jay came to now Abri, you know, he called me, you know, told me that he, you know, needed me to come move back to Boston. Fortunately, I'd been from Boston, you know, he and Royce and Andrew and Peggy sort of, you know, played into that. And uh, they, you know, they convinced me to come back to Boston and, which was, you know, I'm from a small town outside. It's not, you know, it wasn't like I was coming back home. I was coming back to a foreign land. I knew New York a lot better than I knew Boston at that point. And so, you know, I came back and, you know, as they say, the rest is, rest is history. So 25 years later, you know, I'm still here. And, you know, Jay is now my co-CEO, you know, the recent of, you know, uh retired from the business. Peggy's now our chairman. And so, you know, Jay and I are the only ones left you know, albeit with a group of about 100 people that we've hired over the past,
1: you know, two and a half decades. So that's the, that's the story. So a few things there. Number one is I'm, I'm glad you said that you're from Boston. I have a question at the very end that I'm actually now extra excited to, to ask. <laughs> um, the second thing is it's really interesting uh, how you talk about your background and, and, and so many people that I speak including myself, it's, it's really just circumstances. It's, it's somewhat luck to some degree where we end up, I'll tell you for myself, my uncle knew somebody at Thomas Weisel Partners, and that's how I got introduced to working at Thomas Weisel Partners. But before that, I'd worked at Allegiance Telecom for four months as a salesperson. And because I'd worked at Allegiance, they said, well, you should go work for the telecom team because you have telecom experience. And, and here I am now uh, 20 years later into my career and I'm, I'm, I'm still covering telecom. So yep. it's interesting. You know, you also got your BSE from Princeton. Uh, you mentioned your BSE, but it was from Princeton. So, so certainly no slouch there. But I've been under this illusion that, that most people in PE have their masters or maybe it's their CFA. Uh, from what I gathered when I did some research in preparation for this, you, you, you have just the BSE. Do you, yeah. How did you kind of make that happen?
0: Yeah. So I would say that that was, uh, again, you know, great salesmanship from Royce, and <laughs> Andrew, and Peggy, and Jay. So, you know, I got, you know, two years into, two, three years into my experience, you know, here at Abry, And, you know, it was, it was early, you know, when I joined, we're, you know, in in fund two, which was really our first institutional fund, fund one, you know, the first of our, you know, sort of four family, families of funds. And, you know, so it was relatively early. You could see, you know, things were heading in the right direction. You know, it was still a very small firm. We actually had a small, office above the Ann Taylor on Newbury Street. So we're, you know, we had a great, you know, co-tenant there, Ann Taylor and a rickety old elevator that was broken every other day. And so, you know, it's sort of hard to know that, you know, we're, you know, going to be, you know, a leading private equity, you know, all the way back then. And so, you know, but we were growing and I had a, you know, sort of an inkling that things were heading in the right direction. And you know the thing that always had attracted me to Abry and always kept me in Abry was just really the quality of the people. So you know Andrew and Royce, you know Peggy and Jay, you know tremendous investors, tremendous minds, really great people. And so you know that was always the hook. But you know just going back to the story, you know a couple of years in, you know like every other investment banker private equity, you know, I thought, hey, I'm going to need a bachelor's at some point. I need to, you know, go across the river to, you know, Harvard or maybe MIT and get my MBA. And You know, so I had a pretty frank conversation, I think at the time with, you know, with Royce and, you know, he sort of, you know, asked me some really difficult probing questions like, are you happy here? You know, do you want to stay here? You know, why, you know, do you think you need an MBA to be successful at Avery? You don't. Meanwhile, you know, everyone here added their MBA except for me. So, you know, it was a really good sales job. I mean, at the end of the, at the end of the day, we were very small, they couldn't afford to lose me. And so, you know, they, they, uh, you know, put on the hard sell and I was, you know, probably 25 years old at the time and, you know, pretty, pretty uh, susceptible. I hadn't really learned my negotiation skills at that point. And so, um, you know, they, they put the hard sell on and, you know, I came to my own decision. I never even took the, you know, the exam. I never finished the course. I paid for the course, you know, which was a uh, no false, small feat at that point. Uh, but I never took the exam. Um, you know, they, 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 talked me out of it. And, uh, so fortunately, you know, they were, you know, sort of, you know, true to their word, you know, they would, you know, obviously they worked really hard to make this a successful firm early, early on. But they also, you know, gave me, me every opportunity to advance and to grow. And so, yeah, I'm sure I missed something, you know, by not, you know, taking a couple of years to go off and get my MBA, but it's not apparent to me now. So, you know, ultimately,
1: you know, they, they, you know, helped me make the right decision for me. So after 25 years uh, at this, I mean, what do you think are some of the skills or traits that you think have helped enable your success in PE?
0: Well, yeah, I think you, you know, you hit one thing on the head at the outset, you know, that is, you know, the element of luck and, and certainly, you know, the element of luck, you know, uh, you know, plays a, plays a big role in the success of individual investments, the success of individual theses, you know, timing is everything. You and I have talked a lot about, you know, our, you know, the timing of our entry, say, into the data center and infrastructure space and, you know, many, many smart people, you know, came before us, you know, by five or even 10 years, and we're just five to 10 years too early. And, you know, their investments, you know, resulted in, you know, catastrophe. And, you know, there were sort of, you know, global, you know, you know, global markets were sort of in turmoil, a function of some of these early, earlier plays. And so, you know, we have the benefit of luck of coming a little bit later. So, you know, luck, you know, clearly, you know, played a played a role, I would say, you know, the other thing, having great mentors, you know, in Bo Royce, Peggy and Jay, obviously, you know, plays a, you know, plays a role. And then, you know, it's just, I think, you know, maybe this is part luck, you know, maybe this is, you know, something else. But again, the, as I mentioned, I never knew what the work was going to be getting into it. I didn't have any experience. You know, my dad is a, you know, small town attorney. My mom is a, a nurse and a real estate broker. So, you know, I didn't have any experience with, you know, high finance, but it, you know, I found that it really suited me. So I had a passion for it. So the fact that I had a passion for it just, just made everything a little bit easier and made, you know, the late nights and you know, and long weekends, just a lot easier. And so, you know, it's just, it was just easier for me to really immerse myself in it and find a passion for it and, you know, tinker and experiment and explore and do all the things that, you know, ultimately you need to do to have success. And so, you know, I think that's, you know, again, luck and just hard work, but fortunately just having a passion for it is probably, you know, the thing that's helped me the most in my career.
1: Yeah, really great answers. I mean, it's, it, it's to your point, it is luck, uh, it's mentors, which is a great, great point you bring up. It is passion, uh, certainly the hours that are involved in, in your, in your industry. And, and then it is just this, this, this work ethic. You know, your first investment in the data center industry, I believe, was Cyrus One back in 2007, before you guys actually were the ones who sold it to Cincinnati Bell in 2010, and then it was Cincinnati Bell that ultimately Mm -hmm. took it public. Can you recall what the view of the co-location market was back then Sure. and what it was about Cyrus One that attracted you guys? Sure. Sure. So...
0: You know, Cyrus One was the, you know, first one that made, but as you might imagine, we kissed a lot of frogs, you know, some of whom turned out to be princes along the way. And so it wasn't the first one that we really, you know, pursued aggressively. And actually, our history dates back to the days of our investment in Pinnacle Towers, which was one of the early sort of tower aggregators. And, you know, we think we started that platform. Actually, that platform pre-gated me, uh, at least its early days you know, in the early 90s, and I joined, you know, in the midst of investing Avery too, and got involved in that as we built that business out and IPO'd and you know, it was a great investment for us. But, you know, towards the end, you know, <laughs> believe it or not, at the time in the late 90s, you're sort of, you know, we full penetration of the then, you know, wireless carriers, the paging companies, primarily, yeah. And, you know, it's sort of like hard to see around the corner to see the next leg of growth, you know, for that business. One area that, you know, where we've seen some demand from some of our customers, you know, in particular, the carriers was around, you know, data center space, you know, they were looking to co-locate their gear, you know, at our tower uh, sites. And so, wow. you know, that sort of, you know, caused us to then look at I think pretty quickly. We determined that the tower sites were not suitable for, you know, co-location of, uh, of equipment. Um, but, you know, we, we then started to look at what were then called, you know, telecom carrier hotels, uh, which, you know, is probably a word, you know, a term we don't hear very often anymore. And so, you know, we looked at that in the context of, of Pinnacle as being like an important part of the next phase of our growth. Um, I think ultimately, you know, we, Abri, at board level, you know, determined it was a little bit far afield for, you know, for a tower business like Pinnacle. And fortunately, you know, like the next wave of, you know, the telecom wireless build out happened, and there was plenty for us to do. And so there was plenty for us to grow. But, you know, at the time, I really became a student of the model. You know, I, um, you know, amongst the group, I'm a lot younger. And so, you know, I sort of, you know, had an affinity for, you know, for, you know, computing and, I brought us, inter, you know, internet and I brought us uh, email and all these other things, and, you know, business had been done via fax up until, you know, I joined in uh, 96. And so, um, you know, I sort of, you know, took a, took a, a liking to the data center industry then and began to follow it. And I saw, you know, the emergence of these companies that were raising tons of money like Exodus and PSI Net and, you know it, it looked you know for, for the moment you know, i remember looking at it thinking gee this this could be like this could be my thing this could be what i do at Avery in terms of you know my uh you know my investment activity as a as a principal and i feel like i sort of missed the missed the missed the bus you know it sort of went away like it went away it went through, went through vc to pe and all of a sudden you know you, there are huge you know um, uh, you know public debt issuances and you know, equity issuances to support some of these businesses. You know, with with the hopes of you know the dot com customer base, you know, coming about. And so I feel like I missed it, and I was sad for a moment there. And then you know, of course, in the you know in the early 2000s, that all you know came crashing down. And you know, you know, lo and behold, you know, those opportunities became the great opportunities for us to invest in. I mean, effectively, what we were doing by investing in, and I guess. I'll start with you know the first one that got away from us was actually Telex. So when GI made their original investment in Telex, I think it would have been you know 2006. We were the cover bidder, and so that one was like the first one that got away. You know, Telex at the time was 111 uh, 118, You know, hadn't come about yet. Um, you know, it was uh, you know 60 Hudson and you know 56 Marietta. That was basically two buildings. You know, at the time, two carrier you know hotels um and you know so we you know again we were the cover bidder. we lost by you know 10 million bucks the gi worked out to be wow. you know great investment product you know coincidentally in 2011 we bought it from gi and they'd done an amazing job you know building out the platform and it was 12 markets 12 facilities they had struck the, D- the digital realty deal they brought about you know 118 so it was a very different company when we saw it then the next one that got away after telex was switching data believe it or not. So 2006, 2007, you know, met with Keith and George and the team and, you know, we were friendly with the Seaport guys. They're really the first ones at GI and Seaport were like a few years ahead of us. And so, you know, we, you know, you know, went down to Tampa and tried to, you know, make a deal with, you know, Keith and, You know, ultimately, you know, that the IPO market got hot in 2007 and Switch was able to get public. My first
1: IPO was with Switch. So I I see you missing that one. Yeah, there you
0: go. So you probably have a loose site behind you. You know, I've got, you know, a few uh, here, you know, uh, as well, but Switch isn't one of them. But, you know, again, that worked out fabulously for Seaport and, you know, the guys over there. So that was the second one that got away. So really Cyrus won and nothing against my good friend Dave Bergman and Cyrus won, but that was the third one. That was like the third try. And fortunate to meet, you know, Dave, you know, he founded the company, you know, you know, owned, you know, the majority of the company and, you know, we just sort of hit it off. And, you know, at the time, like we were very keen on Colo. You know, I think, you know, from our standpoint, we saw you know, we saw, you know, uh, a landscape for adoption that was going to start with wholesale and colo. So it was gonna start with the simple stuff first. You know, you're gonna outsource the box, some of the upfitting, you know, first, before you ever got comfortable outsourcing the actual compute. And so, you know, we saw this evolution of, you know, wholesale, colo, managed, and then what would ultimately become, you know, cloud. And so for us, you know, we felt like, you know, Again, we're mindful about being early. And so, you know, we were sort of, you know, we were confident at the time that we made the Cyrus One investment that, you know, colo adoption was there. And we could see that. We could look at Dave's business and he had, you know, a massive penetration of the Energy 300 out of Houston. And so, you know, very discerning customer base, you know, very, you know, competitive. And so, you know, that stamp of approval for Colo was really important to us. And obviously it was really important to, you know, our investment in Cyrus one. And so, you know, we were really, you know, quite keen on, you know, Colo early on. And then we sort of evolved, like we, we just sort of followed customer adoption. We saw, you know, that big enterprises were adopting Colo initially as they sort of duck, you know, dipped their foot. And then we saw, you know, that they began to adopt, you know, managed services and, I guess, private, then, you know, then private cloud, you know, uh, as the next step in their sort of, you know, uh, technological evolution. And, you know, what we also observed is, you know, that, you know, the enterprise really thought about, you know, thought about, you know, their infrastructure from an application and geography standpoint. And so, you know, there was the right service for the right application in the right geography and 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 sometimes you know geography was about you know what the connectivity landscape looked like. you know sometimes it was about you know other you know topographic factors, but ultimately they were they were buying you know their data center services on an application you know and geographic basis and so then once we understood that, we appreciated there would be you know opportunities for colo and means. It wasn't like you know managed would replace colo and it wasn't like private cloud would you know, replace, manage, and it wasn't like ultimately cloud would, repl- they all, you know, what we found is although we were concerned and we, you know, treaded, you know, sort of lightly and, and slowly, you know, we were concerned that there was replacement cannibalization, you know, between, but we ultimately observed that it wasn't that high. And so there's just this additive process. And, you know, I think part of it was obviously the proliferation of compute and the, the overall demand for services far outweighed the, you know, the supply, you know, inclusive of co-location and managing cloud. And so, you know, we saw as like the whole pie grew. And then, you know, that was, you know, really exciting for us in a sense that, you know, we were able, able to play in a number of different areas, you know, across. Then the, you're off and, to the races. Yeah, and we're off to the races.
1: And I guess, you know, you mentioned in your in your commentary, you hit it off with David Ferdman. And, and for anybody who doesn't know uh, a great guy and someone I actually still get to, interact with from time to time still, you know, what, how important is it to have that relationship with the CEOs and founders of the companies you're investing in? I mean, like, what, what is it that, you know, you're looking to, like, what are the skills or what is it they, they have to say in the meeting that kind of, you know, the light bulb goes off to you and says, you know, I, I think that this could work.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I mentioned David, but, you know, we, we're we sort of the, in my, in my career, has been the beneficiary of partnerships with tremendous entrepreneurs across, you know, a variety of, of subsectors, but in particular around data center space. So, you know, if I look back, you know, it was, uh, again, I mentioned, you know, in the you know, in the pre, you know, GI days in, uh, in Telex, it was, you know, Hunter and his team. And then, you know, it was Keith and George, they're switching data. And then it was Dave Bergman at Cyrus One. And then it was Rich Lee at Hosted Solutions. And then it was, you know, Paul Sharp and Osama Arafat at Q9. So, you know, I look across and then it was, you know, the late, great Eric Shapiro at Telex, you know, round yeah. two for us. And, ultimately Chris Downey, you know, who, you know, we gave his first CEO job to, and has gone on to great things as a CEO in the industry, and, you know, Ruby Ritwiger over at eShelter in Germany, and so, um, and throughout Europe. So, you know, it's really been, you know, uh, you know, a, a long litany of about a dozen CEOs, and I know I'm forgetting names, and then there are just great relationships. Well, and then, you know, I should mention, you know, although it was, after the soft layer days, but you know, known Lance Crosby for a couple and a half decades and we missed soft layer round one and two. I should have put them on the list of ones that got away as well. And fortunately we caught, you know, Lance, you know, when he was looking Stack at his, his third act, you know, with StackPath. And, you know, we're pursuing a different strategy that wasn't, you know, right down the fairway data center infrastructure. But, you know, again, it's, you know, Lance obviously fits into that category. And then there are you know, relationships, uh, you know, at, at the board level where, you know, Mike Tobin served on a couple of our boards. And so, you know, it's really been a collection of, you know, tremendous, you know, uh, entrepreneurs and pioneers, you know, in the data center and infrastructure space that have really contributed to our success. And, you know, you asked I think to answer, you know, sorry, answer a short question and a very long answer. You know, you asked, you know, about like, what is it? And, you know, what's that sort of common, you know, characteristic across that group? And it's just this, you know, deep entrepreneurial spirit with a deep understanding of what the customer wants and needs, you know, like the, what I described earlier in terms of this customer adoption, in terms of, you know, colo, wholesale to manage, I mean, This is all, you know, this, this, this was all, you know, anticipated and then this is how, you know, they created tremendous value uh, on the companies that they built. This was all anticipated and understood by the CEOs who I mentioned a second ago, like, you know, Dave had a direct line into the CIOs and CTOs of the energy 300. Like he had great relationships with them and he had a burning entrepreneurial spirit to serve them. And, you know, so, you know, I learned from him. And you know, Be had that same understanding of you know, you know, global enterprises who are looking to you know build out you know data center space in Central Europe. And so, you know, it's really you know those are probably the two key attributes: that entrepreneurism and that, in- that ability to understand what the uh, customer wanted and what they were going to want, and then anticipating that. You know, that's I think really what created so much value for those companies. And and I think you know the technical know-how the you know technology understanding is is the table stakes there and and so they all had that they all had they were all brilliant you know technically and, and built you know unbelievable facilities and created great services that was the table stakes going in but it was really what created all the value was in the ability to anticipate and you know
1: basically give the customers what they wanted maybe what they didn't even know they wanted yet so you you mentioned, you know, that you've done colo and managed services. You guys didn't really yep. shy away from from managed services like maybe some of the other players may have. But you know, when you think about service one, you sold it to Cincinnati Bell, hosted mm-hmm. solutions. You know, you ended up selling that, I believe, to Windstream. That's correct. Both in 2010. Um, and we've seen telcos by other colo and hosting providers. I mean, I could think of Verizon Terramark, yep. um, CenturyLink Savage, you could even think of Q9. And BCE, but yep. as you know, none of those proved to be long-lasting marriages. Mm-hmm. Um, upon reflection, what is it that you think prevented those acquisitions from working the way that they're probably intended? That's a
0: that's a really you know great uh, question. Um, you know, I, I think ultimately, you know, what you know, and again, if you look at for example, AT&T, you know, investing, you know, acquiring Terramar. I think ultimately you're looking at a very, very, very large company that has, you know, many, you know, diverse interests and has a core, has a number of core businesses that dwarf the data center piece. So I think ultimately, you know, with these big telcos, they were just picking up something that was non-core to them. I think You know, logically, you know, on at 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 a high level, on the face of it, you could see that, yeah, you know, you know, core telecom, you know, services, you know, core, you know, telecom managed services on top of the infrastructure. That that makes a ton of sense. It's like a vertical integration play. It's sort of it's very very logical, and I can you know see why a a telco would you know ultimately make that decision. You know, telcos are also you know for the most part in you know low growth you know maintenance type businesses and so they're searching for growth and they look over and they see you know data centers just growing at a very a very rapid clip ultimately those businesses were just too small to move the needle or you know your big telcos and you know they faced other you know competitive issues and capex requirements and having to go out and buy a spectrum and so you know these these tiny little these businesses you know big for me you know the Terra marks of the world the Cyrus ones for the world the Savis of the world they're big for but for the telco telco acquirers they're quite small non-core and so you know they just never sort of jolt um, and and that's I guess the way you know I would think I think you know they're they're very good businesses like you've seen some of those businesses pop back out you know and as, as private companies and then thrive with a very different margin profile and so I think it's just focus and attention and you know, the, the big telcos just don't or didn't have the time and attention to focus
1: on you know these little data center businesses. But the it's logic was the logic was there. I got it every time. <laughs> I, I feel like the word focus, which is a really soft skill, hard to define, is 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 something that we see kind of permeating in terms of those who are successful not across the broader communication services sector. I mean, you think about ATT and what they're going through right now, trying to be everything to everyone with -hmm. you know, media and content and satellite, but then also the traditional, you know, wireless and and broadband business versus someone like a Verizon. You know, you think about somebody who tried to do both managed services and co-location. Think about cable and maybe what Comcast is going through right now versus somebody like a charter. I remember talking to Dave Schaefer at Cogent and you would think for a company their size, they wouldn't be able to compete with the incumbents the way that they do, but they do. And and the answer that he gives is it's focused. This is all that they do. So I think there really is something there. So you guys go and do a ton of acquisitions in the data center and managed services space, you know, really up until 2010, 2011, then you kind of pull back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you do kind of come back again and do the root data center deal up in Canada in 2016. And that was really it. So, so what happened? What, what, why, why did you guys walk away from the space the way that you have? And if I look on your you know, list of all your investments today, you, you've really moved into different directions. I mean, it, it was it just the where we were in the cycle, but I'm just trying to get a sense what happened
0: yeah, so you know I think you know the we continued to be active and continued to pursue a lot of opportunities, say between two thousand and eleven and you know, 2000 and uh, I guess when, whenever we did root, you know, we did make a couple of investments. So, so, you know, we did data pipe, I think it was in 2014. We ultimately merged that into Rackspace. You know, we also invested in Rackspace alongside Apollo and their take private transaction, And so uh, I think we're the number two investor to Apollo in that one. And I should probably, you know, call out Kevin Jones, although, you know, it's a newer, Newer, new-ish relationship, I and, mean, you know, Kevin came on after we made, you know, the investment, the take private was done. I mean, he's a rock star. I mean, he's, he's a, you know, great, you know, operator and certainly, you know, uh, you know belongs on that list that I mentioned earlier. It's a non-control investment for us. And so, you know, in between, 2000, you know, when we did pipe, 2013, 2014, and then Rude. You know, we definitely pursued you know a number a number of other opportunities, and I think what it came down to, you know, our 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 lack of success, if you will, in terms of putting capital to work, was just valuation, valuation, and and growth, and you know, so you know, we saw you know uh, the 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 of the data center space, you know, the rotation of the investor base from tech investors to real estate investors, and you know, from growth investors to income type investors and the maturation, you know, effectively of a large cross section of the of the data center business. And so, you know, for us, we're, you know, we're a private equity firm. We, you know, we're, we're targeting private equity, you know, type returns. And, you know, when we run the math on, you know, when, you know, we ran the math in the, you know, mid to early 2000s on in late 2000s on, you know, the growth that we're seeing in, in some of these businesses and the Telex and Cyrus and Q9, you know, we're seeing, you know, 30, 40%, you know, in, you know, annualized growth, you know, recognizing that, you know, that came with a fair CapEx burden, it wasn't free growth, but the ROI was, you know, so very high that, you know, even investing more in CapEx to generate that growth would, you know, drive very high equity returns. And so, we we're able to see that you know, early, earlier on in the in the industry, earlier on in the maturation of co-location and wholesale and manage, you know, as those businesses you know, achieve maturity. And there was sort of a window in time where you know, the enterprise wholesale and co-location was coming to maturity, but the megascalers had yet to really emerge in a meaningful way. As a sort of air pocket, you know, and I don't, it doesn't show up on the charts, but I can tell you in the companies we were invested in and in targeting, there was like the, a flatness, you know, where, you know, before the mega scalers came about and provided that tremendous, you know, last leg of growth that we've seen. So from our standpoint, we're looking at mature businesses with modest growth. And as we ran our math, even, you know, at relatively high leverage levels, we couldn't make our equity returns work. And so, you know, we pursued a number of things. but you know, ultimately, you know, we lost out. We were a net seller, you know, over that period of time. And that's, you know, when we had, you know, a number of our great exits to, you know, a different investor base, to a digital realtor, digital realty investor base, and to, you know, an NTT, you know, with eShelter, and to your point, a BCE with, with Q9. And so, you know, there there is a there was a period of time where the growth just didn't support, you know, the investment level, you know, Root was a little bit of a, of a different animal. I mean, Root, you know, Root had the growth, it had, you know, extraordinary, you know, growth, you know, embedded in its business, you know, to us, it looked a lot like Centrum before we made that investment. And, you know, so, so we're able to justify our cost of capital, we're able to rationalize the, you know, valuation that we're able to ascribe to, to Root and it worked out, you know, tremendously, tremendously well. But again, more of
1: a, you know, more it's of a not, one-off us. It's not fundamentals. You're, you're still fans of the space, uh, if I'm putting the correct words in your mouth. Absolutely. Uh, it's really just a function of valuation, and you're still kind of hanging out around the rim. You're looking for opportunities, but recognizing yeah. there's they're probably far and few between like they used to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no. And again, I think it's just a function of growth. You know, I think if the, you know, if the growth isn't there, we can't, you know, we, we, we can't get our target, you know, right. returns. Now, you know, real so, estate investors can infrastructure investors can, you know, folks that have, you know, a different, you know, return, you know, target return, you know, are able to make the math work. And and so yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of the investment, you know,
1: for the right pocket of capital. So there's other areas that are tangential, right? There's the network as a service space, companies like R Store, Aviatrix, Epsilon, Alkira. On the uh, you know packet type acquisitions, these bare metal providers, companies like DigitalOcean and, and mm-hmm. High Velocity, there's megaports and consoles. Mm-hmm. Are those attractive to you? Could those make sense? Are you looking at them? How how do you think about some of these peripherals, these tangential areas? Yeah, so um, you know
0: I think that you know we we are a fan. I think it's a question of you know valuation. I think if you you know were to look across you know this list of names you know, for the most part, you know, uh, maybe one or two exceptions, you know, you're, you're looking at very high valuations, very high growth. Um, you know, if you look at, you know, our, uh, you know, our history, you know, we, you know, had a very successful investment in masonry, you know, C Mac, Chris McFarland, like he belongs in that list of names. Like he's part of the family, even though, you know, he was in a slightly different business, but you know, that, you know, uh, you know, we're at the very beginning of SBN and, you know, network as a service and unified communications as a service with that investment. And, you know, he, you know, continues to deliver, you know, great results, you know, for the Berkshire folks there, you know, one source, you know, as well, which was a, you know, smaller play in the unified communications as a service. So we've we definitely, you know, had our, you know, opportunities to play in that area. And we, you know, continue to pursue, pursue that. We've got a, you know, investment in spin out of Mitel, you know, called ClearSpan. Currently, we're, not a majority uh, shareholder there. Searchlight guys are, but you know that's another one. You know that sort of fits into this profile. So it's definitely an area where you know we've been active, like on a much smaller scale. We haven't done you know any of the, with the exception of a masonry, maybe. You know we haven't done any any large scale buyouts, but we've definitely been playing through our structured equity fund in that space. You know pretty pretty successfully. You know albeit you know on the on the you know without a lot of notoriety we'd love to do more you know we'd love to you know own some of these businesses but again it'll come down to a question of valuation versus growth and you know when you know you start to see you know businesses trading at 20 30 times uh EBITDA and they're you know generating 10 to you know 15 growth it's
1: sort of hard to make our our math work at, at any leverage level got it uh yeah you're, you're talking about the world that i now live in yes so one one more set of questions, and then we're going to go to um, what I'm referring to as our, our lightning round. But sure. you know, I, I believe you know you mentioned that Abry is a is an is I think still an investor in in uh, StackPath and yeah. Lance I think has left the CEO role. There's a, a new gentleman there, and that business has kind of morphed a bit over the years, but seems to kind of really honed in on edge computing. Maybe it's just the yes. market kind of coming to them. But how do you think about edge computing? I mean, what is the opportunity from maybe from a PE perspective that you see? today in that area.
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, as we, you know, looked out over the, you know, horizon, sat down with Lance when he was thinking about, you know, what to do next. You know, we saw this evolution where, you know, compute, you know, moved into the nether regions where space and power were achieved, at least for a subset of, you know, applications and, you know, what you know we learned around that was that that was a you know a great sort of use case for a subset of applications but then for you know your you know real-time data and you know connect high connectivity driven applications it was totally inappropriate you're introducing latency and high con- connectivity costs and so you know we saw that in, in you know to lance's credit like you saw over the horizon and this is one where you know we're probably earlier than in any other. Like most most of the other investments we made, we saw it proven first. This is one where you know we you know we're willing to take some risk and look out over the horizon because we are so uh, excited about the opportunity. And so we saw that for a subset of you know applications, you know, like content, sort of an easy one. You know, we saw that you know, ultimately you know compute was going to move closer to the eyeballs. It was going to move you know closer you know closer to the edge, and so. You know, we you know then sort of crafted a strategy with Lance that ultimately we would, you know, try to build, you know, build, you know, uh, an edge computing, you know, platform. And, you know, we did so by acquiring a small CDN and then sl- a slightly, we, th- we b- bought a smaller one first and, oh, and okay. the name actually escapes me, but we bought a smaller one first. It was a really well engineered, albeit underused, you know, CDN with some really interesting you know, customers and technology. And then we bought highwinds to your point. And we bought a highwinds uh, CDN business, which was very well engineered, sort of purpose built for, you know, gaming and content and really had some uh, attractive and you know attributes as compared to say, you know, an Akamai or a limelight a time. And so, you know, we saw that as our platform to build this edge compute. So, you know, ultimately, you know, what is edge computing? It's sort of like a content delivery network on steroids. You know, you just needed to add a little bit of weight to the end of the barbell, you know, at the different, you know, hubs. And, you know, so what we saw was a great platform to be able to do that. All the spokes were in place, you just needed to add the, the hubs. And so we then, you know, invested significantly in compute at the edge. And, and then, we realized that we had to build and rebuild and engineer, you know, a network and technology and software to be, be able to effectively deliver, you know, edge computing. It, you know, it hadn't really been done at scale yet. And so, you know, we embarked on a massive, you know, pro, you know development program have hundreds of developers in Dallas. And so we, you know, built our own technology that sort of powers our edge computing. And now, You know, we're in the process of bringing something to market that's very differentiated, but it's, you know, it's taken years. I mean, you know, I think we, I think I originally sat down with Lance, you know, five or six years ago, you know, to sort of conceive this idea. And it's taken a lot of time and a lot of money to get to this number of acquisitions that we've had to button together to get to this point. You know, I think there's a lot, you know, a lot on the horizon for uh, StackPath. You know that that you know we're really just bringing to market, and and maybe adoption is just now here
1: as well. I think you know the you know sort of part adoption, part having the the right product to be able to meet that. It's interesting that you kind of talk about this being an earlier investment than you 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 typically would make. I mean, GI or not GI, excuse me, Berkshire Partners has has done effectively the same thing I think with Vapor IO, which is you both kind of have had history in the space. You kind of. Attached on to some people who've been successful in the past, and and you're now willing to kind of, you know, put some more. I'd almost refer to them as VC like investments out there. Not a lot, not what you core do, but 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 some of those because you kind of see where the space is going based on your history. It'd be really interesting over the next few years to kind of see the uh, the edge evolve. Yeah. So we're now at the lightning round. So uh, what I what I mean by that is I'm going to ask you a handful of questions. I'd love for you to keep your answers tight. Okay. And I promise not to ask. Uh, any follow-up questions to them. So the first one is, you know, who's the best CEO you've ever worked with? I mean,
0: that's, I can't answer that question. That's like, you know, picking my favorite child, you know, so if she's listening, it's Grace, but uh, you know, (laughs) uh, I can't possibly answer that question. All right. There there are are too many great ones. There are too many great ones and they're, they all, you know, contributed in different ways. And, you know, I'm so appreciative of, of all of them. And you know, continue to have great friendships and working relationships with with all of them now. And so, can't can that one?
1: I'll take. I'll pass. Uh, phone a friend. Fair enough. What's the biggest investment regret? Uh, either selling too early. I feel like there's a lot of those, or not buying when you had the chance. I mean, probably on the you know, uh, can't say that
0: you know we you know we sold too early because you know we sold for good reasons in every instance, and you know ultimately it wasn't us dictating the sale as the CEO. And so, you know, the, 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 we really tend to listen to that. When the CEO looks around the corner and says, okay, this is what I can do from a growth standpoint over the next few years, this is where valuations are, you know, you sort of make a, a very mathematical bet, you know, sell now, sell later. And, you know, we tend to listen to the CEO when, when they say it's time to exit. So can't really say that we had any regrets there. I haven't gone back to see, you know, what, you know, what value did we miss out on, you know, creating or what have you. It's probably more on the investment side. Like I mentioned, you know, I missed Telex round one, you know, GI guys made about $500 million that, you know, we could have made during that process. I missed out on switching data. You know, again, that one we chased into, you know, an IPO, you know, one that, you know, was much less publicized is, you know, I had a, a deal with Manny on Terramark, you know, in 2008, and his balance sheet was getting constrained. And, um, you know, the high yield bond market opened up for a moment in time. And he was able to you know, clean up his balance sheet. A year, year and a half later, AT&T came in and paid you know, $2 billion for the business. I think we were Verizon. Or, sorry, yeah, uh, Verizon. And, you know, we, we were valuing the business at maybe $800 million. So, you know, there are there a number that got away on the, on the buy side. I mean, we, we certainly would have loved to have been more productive uh, on the investment side. That's probably more the, the ones that got away than,
1: than any other. When's the next time you think I'm going to see you in person at a data center industry conference? I mean, I feel like I should go to the
0: next one that's in person, you know, just out of, you know, just, just for posterity's sake. But, you know, I hadn't, you know, haven't been in a few years. Like I, you know, spending more of my time, you know, managing, you know, the business that is Abry than, you know, chasing, you know, new investments. It's unfortunate all of my, you know, good friends and CEOs are, you know, ostensibly still there. We always have a presence. You know, you know, Brian St. Jean and Tomario or Nicholas Massard. And, you know, my guess is, you know, one or all of them would be there and, you know, sort of continuing to nurture our interest in the space. But, you know, I hadn't been going for a couple of years. My last one was probably, you know, last time I
1: saw you, you know, 2017 or something. Got it. And then my, my last question, and I mentioned, I'm going to revel in the fact that you said you've been Uh, You were brought up in Boston, and I know you played football (laughs) at Princeton as well. So, as a Buffalo Bills fan, uh, I have to ask, how do you think the football season went this year? I, I mean, I'm a huge football fan, college professional. You
0: know, I don't have a lot of other hobbies. So, you know, I don't really have a lot, you know, to entertain myself other than, say, football in life. So, just to have football back, period, you know, was great. I mean, I guess there was a, you know, it was sort of a long, cold, dark winter and spring, you know, with limited sports, you know, throughout, you know, the initial onset of COVID. And so I was just happy to have it. I was just happy to watch any yeah, not answering. You're not answering the question. I guess. <laughs> oh, so specifically about the Patriots. I mean, you know, listen, I think Tom Brady made a big statement this year, you know, as to, you know, Brady versus Belichick. You know, I think, you know, some things happened, you know, at the Pats with, you know, eight you know key players opting out you know that okay really I, I, I can. all right all right I can. <laughs> but I, I'm a big fan I had Josh Allen on my uh, fantasy team he was great you know I'm a
1: big fan Stefan Dick's amazing Fine. so all right cool well CJ thank you so much for your time really appreciate it again I hope to see you again sometime at a conference but yeah, uh, I look forward, to that. Well. I look forward right. to that thank you so much take care Bye.
0: be safe Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan
1: Insights.